So, a uh, brief introduction into the Heidelberg Catechism. Heidelberg Catechism, I already explained a little bit about uh, what a catechism is, a teaching tool, and the one that we use, and the one that we confess, and Reformed churches have confessed since the 16th century, um, and especially since the Synod of Dort in 1618, 1619, uh, the Heidelberg Catechism has been the, the norm, the, uh, one of the three forms of unity, that is one of the three confessions that we confess, but also a teaching tool for us in uh, Reformed churches. Uh, why is it called the Heidelberg Catechism? Um, first time, I'll tell you a little story. First time I was introduced to the Heidelberg Catechism, as many of you know, I was not raised in a Reformed church. I didn't have that blessing. Uh, my kids have had that blessing. Um, I did not. Uh, I was uh, born and baptized into the Roman Catholic Church, and then in the early 70s, my parents uh, were converted, and, and part of the, this, the tail end of what's called the Jesus People Movement, some of you may remember that, uh, Calvary Chapel, and so I grew up in that, and uh, we had a high view of the Word of God, uh, even though Back then, there were big hair and big beards and lots of music and all of that. There was an a, a emphasis upon reading the Bible, and, uh, but it was Arminian and dispensationalist, unbeknownst to me. And uh, long story short, come uh, speed up to the mid-90s, and I'm a youth pastor at a Calvary Chapel uh, somewhere in San Diego County, and uh, had a big, we did a big outreach. Uh, to kids. Hundreds of kids were there. We had a band play because that's how we always did things. You'd have a band play, kind of rock everybody out, get them hot and sweaty for the message, and then uh, preacher would come out, kind of, you know, the Finney style, make it real passionate. And I preached on uh, John 11, the resurrection of Lazarus. And basically, I remember in my pre-seminary trained mind, uh, I, I said, well, you know, you're like Lazarus, you're dead, and if you come to Jesus, he'll make you alive. And afterward, the saxophone player of the band came up to me and said, don't you think it's kind of weird to say that you got to come to Jesus in order to be made alive? I mean, if you're dead, you can't do anything, right? And uh, basically explained regeneration preceding faith. I thought, wow, I never really thought of that before. I guess you're right. Well, he was a member of Christ Reformed Church Anaheim. And he was a, sax, a professional saxophone player, and he just went around doing gigs wherever he could do them just to help pay the bills. And uh, he stayed up with me till about 1 o'clock in the morning answering all kinds of questions. And he's the one that told me, look, I was so confused in my mind. He goes, listen, you need to read the Heidelberg Catechism. The only reason I accepted it, and he handed me one, was because I had been stationed in Heidelberg, Germany, the Heidelberg of which the Heidelberg Catechism is named after, and I love the city. I said, oh, Heidelberg, I love Heidelberg. Sure, I'll read that. And uh, that's how it all started. And so I started, and he also said, you need to start listening to the White Horse Inn, and, uh, which I wasn't sure what that was. I thought maybe it was like a racist show. It was white, you know. Whatever. Uh, totally changed my worldview, my mind, everything. But started reading the Catechism, and it blew my mind, as it has done for many of you. Uh, I remember... Uh, reading it in, in, in its clarity of how it explains guilt, grace, gratitude, thinking, well, why didn't somebody give this to me years ago? 
I mean, it explains the Christian faith so easily. And I had those things all mixed up. And, and the sad thing is today a lot of Christians do. The simplicity of guilt, grace, gratitude, which is what the, how the Heidelberg Catechism is divided up, is really the most simple explanation of the Christian life and Christian faith. I mean, this is Romans, right? How does Paul write Romans? There's a reason why Romans is the first epistle after Acts. It's the most majestic statement of the gospel. So Romans, chapter 1, verse 1 through verse 17, is, uh, that's an introduction, right? And then from verses 18, as we heard this morning, all the way through chapter 3, verse 20, Paul is explaining our human guilt. Hey, he quotes Psalm 53, and we're all sinners, we're all guilty. Then from chapter 3, verse 21, all the way through the end of chapter 11, he tells us about how we are rescued from our guilt, from judgment, through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, and that we receive that through faith alone. Then, as those who are united with Christ, made new in him, we live lives of gratitude. And so that's chapters 12 through 16. Guilt, grace, gratitude. The Heidelberg Catechism is the same. It has an intro, which are questions one and two. Then the guilt section is questions three through 11. Grace, questions 12 through 85, the largest section. And then gratitude, questions 86 through 129. It follows the, the same format as Romans. Now we might wonder, well, what do we need the catechism for? We already have Romans. Good question, good point. But what the catechism does, you see, is it not only follows the same format as the book of Romans, but it draws upon everything that God has revealed in his word, Old Testament and New Testament, about guilt, grace, and gratitude, and summarizes it so succinctly and so well into a question-and-answer format. Because we know that this is actually, it's always been the best way of learning. I ask you a question, you give me an answer. I ask you a question, you give me an answer. It's like sonar, it's bouncing off of something, back and forth, back and forth. Not multiple guess, but but give me an answer. What do you believe? And we find that this is, this is something that uh, is proven, a proven method for learning the Christian faith. As I said before, it provides you with an arsenal of Christian doctrine. It helps us also prioritize the things that are most important. So we might have some interests of our own, but they're not necessarily the most important things that we need to know. And the catechism, what it does is it goes through how the law shows us our guilt, how The gospel has rescued us, and in this section it exposits the Apostles' Creed, and then how we live now as those who have been rescued by the gospel. And and then it exposits the Ten Commandments and the Lord's Prayer. Apostles' Creed, Ten Commandments, Lord's Prayer. Those three essential building blocks to learning the Christian faith. Uh, This was was written by we call it Heidelberg. It was uh, penned by a guy named... 
Zacharias Ursinus, that's at least his Latinized name. Uh, Ursinus lived 16th century, uh, 1534 to 1583. So he is a little older, or rather a little younger than uh, Calvin. Calvin is, what, 1509 to 1564. And uh, Calvin himself is a second-generation reformer, you know, after people like uh, Martin Luther, Peter Martyr Vermeulier, um, you get to somebody like Ursinus, and who is this guy? Well, he's a very well-educated, accomplished educator and professor. Uh, so he's at a university, the Heidelberg University, which is still there, one of the oldest universities in uh, uh, Europe. And in those days, uh, Germany isn't Germany with the same borders as we know it, but it's divided up into different regions. Dr. Glomsrud went through some of that. And a very important one was the Palatinate, uh, which is where Heidelberg is located. And uh, the ruler of the Palatinate at that time was uh, the Elector Frederick. And uh, he wants to have his region be distinctly reformed and Protestant, but specifically Reformed, uh, even in distinction to uh, being Lutheran. Even though Lutherans and Reformed historically have so much in common, we both believe law and gospel, justification, so many things that are similar, there are some distinctions. And he wanted to have the Palatinate with the education that went went on in the colleges and and the churches to be distinctly Reformed. And so he uh, commissions Zacharias Ursinus to write a catechism. Now, this isn't the only catechism that Ursinus wrote. He had already written a couple of others. Uh, in the early 1560s, uh, he writes what's called the shorter, a shorter catechism, not the Westminster Shorter, but that comes 100 years later. Uh, the Presbyterians were way late to the game, by the way. You know, we were way ahead of about, by almost 100 years. Uh, they, the, the, he writes a shorter catechism, and then my favorite of all catechisms, his larger catechism that comes in at almost 400 questions and, go, and explores uh, in depth covenant theology, the covenant of works, the covenant of grace, things that the uh, Westminster Confession and Catechism have in the 1640s. Uh, Ursinus had already crafted a catechism with those things in the 1560s, uh, about 80 years before. The Heidelberg is a a scaled-down version of his larger catechism, and it was written for children. And it was expected that children would memorize all 129 questions before they made profession of faith. I know we say, wow, we don't even require our ministers to know all 129 questions. We encourage it. Uh, There are still Reformed denominations that still require that. Uh, that, For example, the Reformed Church in the U.S., um, they still have the kids do that, memorize all 129 questions. And you might ask the elders, well, how come we don't do that? Um, that's a fair question. Um, so have your kids memorize all 129 and come back and tell me how it goes. And you say, I don't have kids. All right, you memorize them. Come tell me, and then we'll see how it goes, and then we'll talk. And uh, so first you pull it off, and then we'll, we'll sit down and talk. Uh, because it is, that is quite a, quite a feat. But that's why I gave you those most important catechism questions. Uh, question, questions 1 through 5, 21, 27, 60, 65, 66, 69, 75, 86, 117. That gives you law, faith, providence, 
Justification, sacraments, baptism, Lord's Supper, good works, prayer. That alone is so great and so much. And that much, you know, we, we can attempt to, uh, to memorize. And it's so important that we, we, we seek to, to have these things committed to memory and then that we also go over and uh, understand them in, in more detail and more depth. Catechism is uh, written, in, it's published in 1563. It's used, as I said, for children, but then it be, everybody sees, in general anyway, the beauty of the Heidelberg Catechism. For example, it starts with our comfort. Uh, you know, the Westminster Shorter is wonderful. I love the Westminster Shorter Catechism. And it has a great question as it begins. Question one, uh, what is the chief end of man? And man's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. It's a wonderful answer, important answer. The Heidelberg Catechism is a little different, though. It's more pastoral in its tone. And it begins with this. What is your only comfort in life and in death? It starts with what is your comfort? What is it ultimately that comforts you in your living and in your dying? What are you going to hold on to on your dying day? And that I am not my own, it starts off, but I belong body and soul in life and in death to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. And then, as you know, it goes on in the introduction there to give such a great explanation of our comfort and a good summary, question one and answer one, of everything that's going to be contained inside the catechism. Uh, churches recognize this, and that's why it becomes popular. And as I said, by the time of the Synod of Dort in 1618, 1619, uh, it becomes the official catechism for Reformed churches all around the, the continent. And uh, again, this is long before the Westminster Assembly, you know, that happens 80 years later. The only reason why there was a, a, a Westminster Confession and shorter and larger catechisms is that at that time, uh, they were trying to create a new Church of England and that would be Presbyterian. And it came during a time of uh, political unrest uh, when there was no king. The only, the only period in, in uh, modern British history when there was no king, uh, the interregnum, as, as it was called, the parliament ordered the uh, execution of the king didn't work out. He ended up coming back and kicked the Presbyterians out. But we still have that document of the shorter and larger Westminster Catechism and, and Westminster Confession of Faith. The, the assembly that was called by Parliament, the Assembly of Theologians, they used the Heidelberg Catechism in great measure to help craft a shorter and larger catechism for this new denomination, this new Church of England that they were trying to create uh, that didn't ultimately work out. And it still remains as a great document. But this is the original. And, uh, and it predates, of course, even the Roman Catholic catechisms uh, that came along later during the Counter-Reformation. So we want to we use it. We want to learn it. We want to go over it again and again. Um, we will have them as we go through uh, class. We're going to go through question by question. They're inside the Psalter hymnals in the back. Uh, we'll probably use that translation the most. And my intention is for us to, each week, uh, just try to go through as many questions as we can, and uh, we'll confess them, and then we'll look at the teaching, and there'll be plenty of time for questions and answers. And, uh, and we can also interject some history 
and some comparative views, and look at also how these things apply to us in our modern day. That's, that's my goal for us uh, as we go through the school year, and hopefully by the end of May we'll, we'll finish with the, the last and the 129th uh, catechism question. Uh, you can get copies of the catechism for free. As you know, it's a little bit of a different translation, but we have them available for anybody who wants them. And then finally, if you want study tools, sometimes people ask me for more study tools on the catechism. Uh, there are plenty of things, plenty of things to uh, use. Um, there are, are lots of books, modern books, written on the catechism that are devotional in nature, very simple, such as this one by Pastor Kevin DeYoung. Uh, it, was, it grew out of uh, pastoral letters that he gave his congregation each week. And uh, this is something that's great for personal devotions to help you learn the catechism and go through it. Um, very, very simple, very easy to read. If you want more depth, uh, the best thing you can do is go to the commentary on the Heidelberg Catechism written by uh, Professor Ursinus himself. And uh, the translation... Uh, from German is a little bit uh, uh, older, so it's, uh, at times, it might not be the easiest English to read. I think it's the 19th century translation, but easy enough that it's, it's pretty simple to understand. This is a wealth of Reformed theology right here. You want to really know Reformed theology, you, you want to read this. In fact, I once told somebody the three books I'd recommend if you really want to learn Reformed theology, Beyond the Confessions, Catechism uh, Commentary by Ursinus, Calvin's Institutes, and Louis Burkhoff's Systematic Theology. Uh, but this is probably the, the most essential thing to learn the catechism in depth if you want to know the answers behind why he's saying what he's saying in a particular place. And then there are other scholarly works written, uh, like this one here by, that's uh, written by Lau Birma. Uh, an Introduction to the Heidelberg Catechism gives lots of history, uh, scholarly work done on the background of the catechism, and it includes a copy of the larger catechism, which, as I said, is my favorite catechism and, and the most in-depth. So uh, lots of resources, but we'll uh, use this opportunity from 11.30, 12.15, each Sunday during the uh, school year to uh, learn and grow in the catechism. Okay. We'll end there for now because I want the, the kids to be released, and I will be diligent about getting us out at 1215 uh, ordinarily. And so let's pray. Our God and our Father, we thank you for the opportunity to study your word and to study the teachings from your word. Lord, we pray that we would grow in, in our understanding of what you have done for us in Jesus Christ and what the church has confessed down through the ages. Help us to understand these things well, Lord. The natures of our Savior, uh, his divinity, his humanity, the necessity of his coming, the things we confess about what he has done for his church, what the church is, the sacraments, what preaching is, discipline, how to live in this world as Christians, how to pray. Help us, Lord, we pray, to grow in our understanding of these things and bless our time and the time with the children, we pray. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.